Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we talk about when we talk about faith. Today's podcast is a reflection on the book, The Last Lecture by Randy Pausch. What life lessons can be learned from a man who is told he only has a few months to live? Welcome to Roundhill Radio. I'm Leslie. I'm Ed. Hey, Ed. Good morning. Good morning. So we are beyond Easter. Yes. Thanks be to God. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> says the director of music. <laughs> it was exciting. It was a great day. It was, yes. Um, but we sort of have this funny time where, at least in Connecticut, it is still wintry outside, mm-hmm. much, much to our consternation. Um, but what, what are you thinking about? Um, with life and faith as we're sort of in this transitional period of seasons and life. How's that How's that working for you? Mm. Yeah, well, winter's not working very well for me, no. but uh, spring is going to happen. I'm really, really confident about it. But <laughs> you're, to the point, you're right, where we're beyond Easter, yet it feels wintry, and I think that's a little like life feels like that sometimes, that we think we're... We've had a great celebration. We've attained a goal. Something really good has happened. And then lo and behold, we still have some winter around. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not quite there. Mm-hmm. So I guess part of what's been on my mind, um, well, I would say a little bit of this, is that I've been thinking about some some thoughts from before Easter that still linger and also some thoughts after Easter. And uh, that had prompted me to go back, and you had inspired me to do this, to take another look again at a beautiful book called The Last Lecture by Randy Pausch. Mm. And um, The Last Lecture is a feature of the academic world. You know, it's something that professors are often asked to do. If you had to summarize the core of your teaching in one lecture, could you do it? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's that kind of exercise. And it's not just about famous last words. It's... Um, there's an urgency to it. It's it's put it's it's more about way of the heart, you know, not only a way of the mind and just letting people know the knowledge you have. It's what no- impact has that knowledge had on you? And it made me think about all the great last lectures in the Bible. I mean, there's certainly one that Moses gives before he dies. Uh, he gathers all the people. They've been through so much. They've been trekking through the wilderness together. He's not going to get to the promised land with them, so he gives them a last lecture. It's very powerful. Jesus uh, gave a last lecture to his disciples before he died, and actually he gave a kind of last lecture to them again after he rose. Uh, He met with his disciples. They were all locked up because they were afraid. They didn't have him around, or at least they thought they didn't, and he entered their lives. And he said, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, you, they are retained. And that's a very heavy, daunting thought to have. Mm-hmm. But in a way, that was just about his last lecture to them. So I've been thinking about these thoughts um, in the post-Easter season. Absolutely. So Randy's last lecture went viral in the most extreme sense. Mm. It got over 19 million views on YouTube, and there's various editions of it that have gotten uh, some as well. Mm -hmm. So for those few (laughs) among us who haven't had a chance yet to watch it, what made this one so special? So Randy was in his mid-40s when he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Uh, He and his wife, Jay, had three young children. So they had this beautiful family, and they were growing together, and then he had this 
really just this news came practically out of nowhere. And then he thought long and hard about how he wanted to communicate his legacy. And as a professor, he thought that the last lecture would be an option. And he had taught at the University of Virginia, and then he was teaching at Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. And he was given an opportunity to talk about his life through a last lecture format. And uh, so he did that. And, um, you know, the lecture uh, was something that he was able to give that was much more about much more than his life's teaching. He was really a computer scientist. And he helped build uh, virtual reality programs, and he worked with Disney Imagineers for a time, had this very rich academic life. But his last lecture really was about how to live, not just how to explore, you know, his particular specialty. So um, that, I think, was done for two reasons. He wanted to do something for the greater good. I mean, he says very clearly in the book, he thinks that every person has an obligation to do something for the common good. That's part of what life is about. And uh, so that, that has to be considered. But I think he also really wanted to give a gift to his three children. They were you know, very young, all in early elementary school ages. And he was thinking, so there was gonna come a time when they were not gonna remember the sound of his voice anymore or what it felt like for him to hug them. And all of those powerful things that people do you know, as parents, um, to teach and to touch and so on. So what could he do? And he decided he could give them as much wisdom as possible. So that's where the lecture came in. And as you said, it just became enormously popular and I think still is. Absolutely. So what are some of the lessons from that uh, book and lecture that really connected with you? Well, you know, he says in his uh, last lecture that whatever he was going to say, it was going to be about living not about dying. Mm. And uh, thinking about another person whose name is Eugene O'Kelly, and he's talked about, he wrote a book called Chasing Daylight. He was also a young man who was given this similar kind of diagnosis. And someone said to him, uh, Eugene, I think you've got three months to live. And, and the thing in that phrase the, that really stood out for him were the words, to live, not to die, but what are you going to make with this time? So he did something a little different. He didn't give a last lecture, but he very intentionally met in person with all of his colleagues, then his friends and his family, and making sure that everyone got some time with him. Mm -hmm. So um, the thing that struck me about the last lecture is that it's, it's not there's not necessarily a thought there that hasn't been communicated before, right, in a, in a book of wisdom. Um, but it's his unique life. It's his way of coming at it. So one thing, one of his lessons, he was absolutely infatuated with Disney. And he wanted to be a Disney Imagineer when he was on sabbatical from his work. Uh, I believe when he was at the University of Virginia, he was given a chance to work with the Disney Imagineers. Uh, as a kid, he went there. And he was also infatuated with Star Trek. So William Shatner, who played Captain Kirk in Star Trek, actually reached out to Randy hmm. and um, sent him a message. He said, uh, I don't believe in the no-win scenario. And I think one of the lessons that Randy was trying to communicate with his life, and he got some reinforcement, obviously, from Captain Kirk, is that uh, you know part of life is living into the impossible. And when you're given a very, very difficult set of circumstances. The question is, how do you respond to that? So he said, you can't do anything about the hand you're dealt, but you can do a lot about how you play that hand. Now, we have that's a line that people use a lot, but when someone says that in Randy's position, I think it 
taxed a certain amount of power. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of it. You know, he would tell his students, give yourselves time to dream um, and use your time really well, but don't forget to make plans that help your dreams come true. Mm -hmm. And one thing I thought uh, was really interesting about him that he mentions in the book, he loved fun and he loved dreams, but he used to ask his students to be very specific about how they were going to make their projects happen that, you know, when he gave them assignments. So he would give them evaluations, but they weren't like any evaluation that I've ever seen. So he would say, you know, he would ask them, what did your, what do you think your peers think about you? Do you think that your peers think that you're working hard? Hmm. Um, how creative do you think your contribution has been on the team project? And do you think you've been a team player? Uh, I don't think it's that common for evaluations to dive into that no, area. definitely yeah. not. I mean, you think about, oh, what's the performance of the person? What's what's, right. what's great about them? What can be improved? All those lovely tick boxes. But thinking yes. about how we work together, which is could be considered more important mm -hmm. of how that sort of vibe works, how, how much you contribute and how much you also step aside and let the gifts of others come through. Exactly. And I think that's a great point. You know, I think... His notion in these evaluations is not just what did you bring to the project, but mm -hmm. how did you, how did your presence in a project bring forth something from someone else, right? Right. Did you, did you ask a great question? Yeah. Uh, or did you pose a challenge to your teammates that helped them to sort of come forward? So, um, so I think that was a, a powerful lesson to think about how our work can, uh, our approach to things can impact other people. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing he said, I liked this phrase, stop working at the margins. Hmm. So often in life, we've got a challenge and it's tempting just to kind of treat the symptoms rather than the disease. Hmm. And he was thinking about this all the time because he was constantly exploring possibilities for treatment for his own disease, pancreatic cancer. But I loved his vision of life that if you want to do something really impactful, think about how you're going to eliminate a situation that's causing distress for people. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a great message actually for the church. Quite often churches are outstanding when it comes to helping people at the margins. Sure. Um, and we do great and important work around that. But it's... it's uh, it's one thing to treat the symptoms of poverty. It's another thing maybe to eliminate the cause. Sure. That's a bigger question, and it takes more collaboration. Yes. Oh, so. my God. Yeah, that's a, that's a big one. Yeah, huge, right? <laughs> so uh, We could do a podcast all on that. We could indeed, <laughs> yes. Um, and I guess one other uh, lesson that I really liked, and this he learned from Disney. Um, when he would visit... Disney, I think it just activated the kid in him, you know, the little boy and the adventure and the fun and imagination and all of that. But it wasn't just that. It was the approach of the Disney staff to their work. Hmm. And he uses uh, an example. He said, if you go to Disney, and I have never been, so I can't test. I can't testify. I know it's something out there. It's got to be on the list. I'm making an incredulous face. 
for the <laughs> it's it's even <laughs> worse moment. than that. It's just oh my stark disbelief, it right? Is, it is stark disbelief. But just at, on a simple level, you know, if you're at Disney apparently, and if you ask, uh, "What time does the park close?" Mm-hmm. the answer you get, uh, the Disney employee is supposed to say, "The park is open until 8 p.m." <laughs> you know, it's just that little shift in language, mm-hmm. and I think that little things like that matter. And he has this great story called the one hundred thousand dollar salt and pepper shaker. He and his sister wanted to buy, I think it was a gift for their parents on one of their trips to Disneyland, I think it was. And um, so they went in and they bought this and it was wrapped up and they were so excited and they went outside and of course Randy tripped. Oh no. Fell. Oh no. Yep. Crash. Salt and pepper shaker. Probably about the size of little pieces of salt and pepper. Ah. And so someone came over to them and said, oh, you know, what happened? Are you okay? And, of course, Randy's in tears. They paid $10 for this thing, which is <laughs> a, a bit of money when they were eight and nine years Absolutely. old. And um, they said, you know what? Why don't you go back and see if they'll give you another one? And Randy said, no, they can't do that. You know, It's my fault. And he said, I know, but just go back and, and <laughs> see what will happen. They went back. Not only did they give them a salt and pepper shaker. They wrapped it up. They said, you know, it was probably our fault because we didn't wrap it properly. Aww. Yeah. And made them feel great. So Randy said that was a $100,000 investment because he's truly, he was truly a math whiz, this man. He estimated that he, his parents, who mm-hmm. often took, they were teachers, and they would often take their students to Disney. Uh, his parent, between his parents and him, they invested over $100,000 in trips and rides and food and yeah. gifts over the years. Mm-hmm. Later, when he went to work as a, got to work as a Disney Imagineer, yeah. he said to them, you know, it was because of that that Disney wouldn't have gotten all of that money if mm-hmm. that one person hadn't taken the time to care. Mm-hmm. So, again, a lesson that he just sort of... You know, pulled from that experience of working there. Yeah, there's a, a wonderful restaurant tour in New York City. It's by the name of uh, Danny Meyer. Hmm. He uh, he is a his big thing is hospitality. He calls it radical hospitality. Mm. And this idea that something really tiny like that creates a kind of community, a kind of mm. uh, loyalty mm-hmm. from your customers when mm-hmm. you're creating experience and a real authentic connection um, that. That is good business. Yes. Um, he has a wonderful book called Setting the Table, I would recommend. Oh, to lovely. many people. Um, I'll loan you my copy. Okay, excellent. <laughs> um, but it's wonderful. And the idea of he empowers all of his uh, wait staff and front of house staff to, and even back of house kitchen staff to create experiences for people, oh, to find lovely. those little moments and find those little opportunities for connection or something special, not just for big days, uh-huh. just for something little that they have the power to make the day a little bit better mm. for someone else. And that is how he's he went from having one restaurant to, you know, this incredible, huge company. Yeah. Well, building it, right, on mm-hmm. radical hospitality. It, it was interesting to me reading the book, and I guess this would be the last comment. I mean, there are many, many lessons in this book. But For the sure. other, I'd say the last one I would share is is just, it's along the lines of what you're talking about. Randy Pausch was truly a teacher at heart. And I think one of the lessons he wanted to communicate to his students is that if you wait long enough, 
people will surprise and impress you. Hmm. And he was saying that because in these classes, students could be very competitive and sometimes tempers would flare up or there'd be irritation. And he had to constantly help them to get into a frame of mind where they could collaborate. And so his notion was sometimes you can have to wait a long time for that person to surprise or impress you. But of mm-hmm. course, maybe they were waiting, they'll be waiting for you to do the same thing, right? Yeah, to sort yeah. Of, sure. um, and, and I thought that it was so interesting that he would actually teach his students how to apologize. <laughs> and he would say that a good, he said, a bad apology is worse than no apology. And there are always three components to a great apology. You say, what I did was wrong. I feel badly that I hurt you. And how can I make this better? I thought that was great teaching. And to know that somebody cared that much to share a life lesson like that with their students. Yes, for sure. That's pretty fabulous. So those are a few of the lessons that I picked up. Those are wonderful. And those I feel like are different than a lot of the ones you hear about too. That um, the the highlights you hear. So I'm very glad for those. Yeah, yeah. Thought for the day. Thought for the day. So, uh, you know, the one thing that I did think about this book, there's such an intensity to it because this man had such a short space of time in which to communicate so much. I would like to say, though, you know, I think that um, life, for the most part, is lived over the long haul. Mm-hmm. And we, it, it's difficult to maintain that level of intensity all the time. And maybe it's not even necessary. I think we want to live very intentionally, yes, but we also want to have the courage to step back and create a rhythm in life so that we're very engaged, but that we also take have the courage to step away from the engagement and let our lives rest and let that meaning fill up so that we don't always have to pack it all in all the time. You know, we're, we're not on all the time. That's a very, very difficult thing to be. So, you know, we're even told, uh, you know, when you're working at the computer, step away from it. Take a walk. And I think, um, the, I guess part of what I would leave as a thought for Randy is live life really well. And part of that means stepping back away from it, breathing, relaxing, and then re-engage. Thanks for that, Ed. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the members and friends of Round Hill Community Church. You can find more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and roundhillcommunitychurch.org.